as for me, I want to, I want to, I want to make the next Bemelman's bar. You know, I want to, I want to, I want a bar that's going to, that's going to do that. That's going to be a, a classic, you know, time honored place that will go on for, for a hundred years and, and live in the, um, the pantheon. Welcome to Play in Conversations, the podcast where we delve into the world of design and explore the endless opportunities that await designers and brands. I'm Simon Martin, head of content strategy at Plan Co. And joining me are Brendan and Karen Hutchison, the founders of Plan Co. Together, we'll be your hosts as we embark on insightful design conversations that inspire and inform. Today, we have the honor of sharing a glass with none other than the architect of world famous cocktails, the maestro of libations, and creative pioneer Jeffrey Morgan Thaler. Not only is he an award-winning bartender and celebrated author, but Jeffrey is also the genius behind iconic concoctions like the Bourbon Renewal that have graced bars worldwide. What sets him apart is not just the final result, but the meticulous process that goes into crafting each libation. Design, trial and error, sensory experiences. These are the tools of Jeffrey Morgan Thaler's trade. Today, we will delve into a world of alchemy where design meets flavor, where trial and error lead to perfection, and where every sip is a sensory journey. So, whether you're sipping a classic or crafting a contemporary creation, Jeffrey Morgan Thaler is the guiding spirit you will need. Get ready to uncover the stories behind the bar, the secrets of the shaker, and the magic that turns a simple sip into an unforgettable experience. Jeffrey, so great to have you on today. You've been tending bars since 1996, which means you're coming up on your third decade. And, you know, you've accomplished so much uh, over the past 30 years, including writing two best-selling must-have books on mixology. Uh, you've managed uh, seven-time James Beard award-winning uh, the bar program at Clyde Common in Portland, Oregon, uh, as well as the highly celebrated Pepe Lamoco, not to mention established many other bar programs. You've worked with uh, multiple brands to create canned cocktails. Uh, you've really uh, sort of done the whole thing. So let's back up a little bit and tell us what, what happened in uh, 1996 that's, that sort of set you on this uh, career trajectory. Well, yeah. Thanks for the uh, kind introduction there. Um, it's always a little. Uh, I get. I start blushing a little bit when I, I start. Somebody starts reading off all of my other things, and then also uh, when you when you said coming up on thirty years, my heart just like dropped into my stomach. You know. <laughs> but yeah, I was. Uh, you know, I was in architecture school in the nineties. You know, after my I don't know, I'm gonna say second year or so, uh, third year of college. Um, I needed a summer job. And a lot of my peers uh, were able to do these um, like unpaid internships, um, you know, as architecture students, uh, design students so often do. Um, but I didn't have that kind of I didn't have any backup money to keep me alive. And so I needed to get just like a job job. And uh, I went to the, you know, the student career center and, and flipped through the the binders. And I applied for two jobs um, on the same day. Um, I applied for a dishwashing job at a restaurant and a bartending job at a dive bar over on the other side of the tracks. 
and they accepted, uh, both of them accepted me. Uh, and I, I nearly flipped a coin, but I chose bartending because I was incredibly shy growing up. And I knew that, uh, if I was going to be an architect, I was going to have to get up and give presentations and talk to clients. And I thought that bartending would be uh, a way to sort of develop some social skills that I didn't feel like I really had. And, um, so I started attending bar. I was absolutely terrible at it for that first summer. Um, everybody knew it, um, especially me. Uh, but by the end of the summer, I'd grown to really like sort of enjoy it and actually get kind of good at it. And I wasn't making drinks or anything. I was just pouring beer. All they had at this bar was beer. Um, there was some wine in a jug, you know, that mainly got consumed by the staff, uh, after their shifts, but, um, it was really just beer, 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 beer. And, uh, by the end of it, I, I was doing pretty well and I was going to quit because, uh, I had to go back to school and I was working mostly days. I couldn't, uh, you know, I couldn't go to school and work in a bar during the day. Uh, and they offered me nights if I, if I wanted to stay and I just stuck with it. And I, I worked uh, I worked in the bar uh, all through college. And uh, after I graduated, you know, um, when you get a, a, a job in a design firm, especially in a small town like that, you're kind of the, the last in and the first out, you know, when somebody gets a big, when we, you know, we'd get like a big, uh, big hospital project or, or some sort of project like that. I mean, I'd come in as a as drafts person. And then immediately be laid off when all the drafting was done, you know, <laughs> so I just kind of stayed, stayed behind the bar and, and, uh, slowly, slowly over the years, um, I got better at it and I enjoyed it more. And I realized that like, I'm better at tending bar than I am designing buildings, you know, and that, that was, that was a, a little tough of a, a realization, mm. but I had it and I think it was probably for the best. Do you think there's something in um, being trained or being a creative or training yourself in architecture or some other creative di discipline and the overlap to being a bartender, because I've met quite a few bartenders that have, have creative backgrounds or people in hospitality, cough, baristas, those kind of things. And those kind of professions. Um, yeah, I, th I, I wouldn't be surprised if there's a correlation there. I think so. And I think that um, the culinary arts, which I would say um, bartending is, uh, you know, especially now, uh, is one of these fairly rare um, sort of junctions of art and craft, right? There's the majority of it is craft, you know, the, the, the repetitious nature the, um, of, of doing the same thing over and over again and the unattainable goal of absolute perfection. <laughs> mm. um, but there's, there's always, there's always a, a, a piece of uh, art and, and design to what I do. It's, it's a small part, but it's an important part, you know, and I think that it's, it really has understanding that design process really has helped me get to where I am today. Uh, on that note, on on arts and crafts, um, Jeffrey, you regularly post on your Instagram, which for anybody listening is uh, Jeff at Jeff Morgan. In uh, you know some of what you share, I mean, ob obviously these cocktails taste good, but they look almost better <laughs> than probably that they taste. You know, some of them have like this very distinctive like pink hue to them. Um, so like when you talk about that art element, are you? I mean, I know presentation itself is 
a very important quality, but how much are you thinking about that while you're thinking about the actual science of mixology and, and putting ingredients together if you're starting from scratch with a whole new recipe? I will I will scrap drinks if they don't like look good enough, you know. Mm. Um, it's such an important piece, you know. Chefs have been saying forever that we eat with our eyes first, right? And that's so true um, with cocktails. And it's it's one of the things that, you know, when, when I'm training people, um, I really work uh, a lot at is, is uh, getting them to realize that every single tiny little decision uh, that makes that drink look good. I mean, you know, you know, we've all we've all had drinks and we've all had plates of food. You know that you like something before it even arrives, like before you can even smell it and certainly before you taste it. I mean, it's just you can just tell you're like, you know, you, you see a, a delicious plate of food walking across a restaurant. And you're like, I've got to have that. I have no idea what that is, but I've got to have it. You know? mm. Um and so, yeah, that is that is really all of those little fine um, details that we they put into the drink and, and all those little um, touches that we do with our, our hands are so important. We'd like to take a moment to remind you that Play in Conversations is brought to you by Play & Co. If you want to explore more about design opportunities, discover new insights, or connect with Play & Co. for a design project, be sure to visit playandco.com. When you said we eat with our eyes, I, I, my mind immediately went to we consume with our eyes. Uh, so it, the same applies mm -hmm. for design. Like if it doesn't Absolutely. look good, it's not going to it's not going to inspire or grab someone's attention. And so um, beauty is absolutely is kind of is is critical in in all things. I agree. Yeah. If you could pick one one of your cocktails and just walk us through how you either designed it or you make it, and and maybe speak a bit to the mixology and the the the, the alchemy that's happening, yeah, uh, that would be I, really cool. I have a few different processes that I use when I'm coming up with a drink. You know, um, sometimes it's uh, something that's sort of built from scratch. Um, you know, we have a, a drink that's been very popular over the years that we're putting back on our menu uh, in the next couple of weeks called the flannel shirt. And it's just sort of an ode to um, this season, right? Uh, in the Northern hemisphere, that is, um, you know, an ode to autumn and uh, mm. fall flavors and even fall colors. You know, it, mm -hmm. it uses uh, fresh pressed apple cider, uses scotch whiskey. And, and you know, for a drink like that, um, I will often use um, my my school sort of space planning, like bubble diagramming, which is really helpful and just kind of sketch out uh, a cocktail before I even, you know, start throwing ingredients at it or even before I set foot behind the bar and start mixing uh, things, you know, I'll, I'll sort of um, bubble it out and say, OK, I, you know, I, I know that I want this to be uh, autumnal. Here's a, here's a big circle with some, uh, fresh apple cider. Here's a, a similarly sized circle with, uh, some, let's say some, some sort of whiskey, right. Um, you know, I, I, I think that whiskey sort of invokes fall. So we're going to use, we're going to go with whiskey. I know that much. Um, you know, I want to bring a little bit of say some sort of like spice flavor, whether it's, um, cinnamon, um, clove, whatever, that's going to be like a smaller circle, uh, in that bubble diagram. Um, I, I want to have something sort of like sweet and caramely in there. I want to have something, uh, a little bit sour to, to augment the, 
um, the apple and, and sort of brighten that up. And so I'll, I'll just start with that kind of like rough diagram. And from there, um, I'll start plugging in uh, sort of question marks, you know, so uh, in the whiskey category, I'm like, is it rye whiskey? Is it scotch whiskey? Is it Irish whiskey? Is it a, a, a smoky whiskey? Is it a non-smoky whiskey? And, and, and sort of start throwing a bunch of ideas in there. And, you know, sour, is it lemon juice? Is it lime? Is it citric acid? Is it, uh, you know, is it um, Meyer lemon, you know, so, um, you know, I'm sort of like playing with all of those different ingredients until, you know, you know, by page like four or five, something starts to gel. And I say, okay, we're going to do a slightly smoky scotch whiskey. We're going to do apple cider. We're going to do lemon juice. We're going to use an Amaro. Um, you know, maybe this one specific Amaro that I've been interested in. We're going to use a little bit of, um, allspice dram, which is an allspice liqueur that you can use sparingly. Um, maybe a little bitters, is it cinnamon bitters, something like that. And I'll get behind the bar with that rough sketch and, um, just kind of play around, you know, using, uh, the proportions that I know work in cocktails, you know, uh, I'll start there. You know, we have, we have pretty standard proportions that we always kind of like lean back on. Um, and I'll go from there. But the other, um, the other sort of process I have is the one where, um, it's about solving a problem. Uh, mm. and those, that's usually my favorite kind of, um, cocktail design, um, uh, question is, is what is the problem to be solved? Uh, I think the, the most well-known of mine is the Amaretto Sour, um, which is a, a kind of a long story if you've got time. I don't want well, to dominate course. the conversation, but well, yeah. we, got, yeah. we got plenty of time. But before you do, okay. but, but before you do, yeah. once upon a time, the Long Island iced tea solved all my problems. That's certain. That solves a different set of problems. Also creates. Yeah. Uh, other it just problems. brings on a different bunch. Yeah, as Homer Simpson said, uh, alcohol the the cause of and solution to all of life's problems. Yeah. <laughs> Genius. <laughs> But, you know, when um, back when I met Simon, you know, in the um, uh, sort of early mid 2000s there at Clyde Comet um, and this kind of cocktail renaissance was was happening, uh, certainly around the United States and, and in places like London and, and uh, Berlin as well, um, but primarily the United States, um, there were articles being um, written pretty regularly in, in large publications, uh, interviews with, um, you know, people that fancied themselves as serious mixologists. And, um, there was a real trend that at the time that said certain drinks are good and certain drinks are bad. And if you have the audacity to come into my bar where we take drinks very seriously and order a bad drink, you might be asked to leave. And there were plenty, there was no shortage of, of uh, pull quotes from, from, you know, sort of mustachioed mixologists saying, you know, if you come to my bar and order a, an Amaretto Sour or a, a Long Island iced tea, um, you might be asked to leave. And that never Get really- the fuck out. <laughs> Seriously, yeah. And, and, and it was their um, sort of posturing um, themselves as being, um, you know, sort of above all of that. You know, um, mm -hmm. the, the sort of old style of drinking we're getting back to. We're trying to make um, bartending a respectable career again. And you're you're getting in the way with your lousy drink order. And <laughs> I never sat well with me um, having come from bartending in the 90s where, you know, I love I love an Amaro Sour. You know, it's a delicious drink. Like it was one of the first like 
sort of cocktails I ever had. Um, you know, and the, the original recipe for an amaretto sour is amaretto and sour mix. I mean, if you look back at like the, the like the OG amaretto sours, it's amaretto and sour mix. And that was the kind of design problem that I really wanted to like to sink my teeth into. And, and so I started thinking about it, like, well, what if we could, you know, what if we assume that drink's not inherently bad, that it's delicious, but it just needs a little touch up, you know, what, what can we use from everything that we've learned over the years about building a cocktail, what can we do to this? Okay. So obviously we're going to use fresh lemon juice instead of sour mix. So, you know, mix a little lemon juice with, with some amaretto and it's fine. It's better, but it's, it's still, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's a little too sweet. There's no way to really balance it. You know, once you get enough straight lemon juice in there to overpower the sweetness of the amaretto, you've lost most of the amaretto flavor. So, you know, it was this weird kind of balancing act where um, nothing was working. Obviously, we're going to use a little egg white in our sour, you know, to give it some of that that mouthfeel, that texture. Um, but, you know, I had the solution that um, some high proof bourbon added into the mix would be enough to tame the sweetness of the amaretto and uh, bring up the strength so that you wouldn't have to use quite so much lemon juice to balance the cocktail. And I put it on my... Um, you know, I put that on my website and, and now it's just like, that's the, that's the, that's the amaretto sour recipe. Like you can now go into even the, the snottiest cocktail bars in the world and order an amaretto sour. And they're going to be like, yeah, they're going to pull that recipe out and they're going to use it and make an amaretto sour, which is a, a, feels like a huge win for me. But that's, that's another one. That's really my favorite kind of, um, design problem is, is like solving a, solving a problem. And, and, and you, you, uh, completely capitalized on that um, with one of your uh, bars, Pepe La Moco in Portland, which um, has unfortunately closed, but has evolved into your new latest venture, which is Pacific Standard. Mm -hmm. um, but at Pepe La Moco, I remember when I went there, the, the MO was sort of like, we're just going to take all the classics and we're just going to do them really, really well. So totally. is that is that the same process you did in creating that whole bar program for Pepe Lamoco? Yeah, it really, it was sort of, um, well, you know, we were approached, our, our team at Clyde Common was approached by Ace Hotel. They're like, we're going to put a, um, we're going to put a cocktail bar in the basement here. And, um, you know, through the process, they, they said to us, you're going to put in a pre-prohibition speakeasy cocktail menu. And I was, this was 2014 and I was like over my dead body. Like that might have been sort of cool back in like 2008. There's no way I'm doing that in 2014. It's just such a tired trope of mm -hmm. um, arm garters and vests and dim lighting. And, and, and what I think of is like fairly undrinkable um, pre-prohibition or during prohibition era, just like weird antique cocktails that mo most of which kind of came back and then and then roared right back out of fa fashion because they're just like they're just sort of stodgy and 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 not not drinkable and fun and and I said well I said you know they 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 said what what do you want to do and I was like I want to do amaretto sours I want to do a blended ice cream grasshopper I want to do a long island and um the espresso martini was very much not cool at the time I was like I want to bring the espresso martini back oh, I um, love yeah yeah <laughs> you know all these all these drinks and yeah that was the that was the plan it was just like let's have a bar that's fun um where people can 
you know, where where we sort of have the authority and the talent to say, like, it's OK to drink these drinks. We know that you like them. We know that you want them. We're going to make them really, really well. And, you know, haters be damned. You know, any other bar that tells you that <laughs> that uh, that uh, Amaretto Sour or an espresso martini is not a delicious drink probably just doesn't know how to make one well. You know, <laughs> it was yeah. very uh there was a lot of bravado in there, but uh, it felt good, you know. You you, you bring up an interesting uh, point about the the environment, which you know here in New York, some of my favorite um, cocktail bars like uh, Death and Company. Uh, there's uh, Amore Amargo. Uh, mm -hmm. So much of the cocktail um, experience itself is also a result of the environment that I'm that I'm in. So in a way, you can say that it's like part of the UX design of mm. the, the cocktail experience. So mm -hmm. it, it, when, you, when you think of these, like, you know, like you were talking about the flannel drink, um, like how important do you think it is too to like really make sure all of the senses are being taken care of uh, in that experience in terms of uh, how, like, what's the lighting? How is somebody going to enjoy it in this context? Uh, you know, how how deep do you think about those details that are outside of the drink, but are just as important in some cases as the drink? I I think all, of course, I think all of that is super, super, super important. I try not to get too heavily involved in that because um, there are people that know better than I do. Um, you know, I have my um, preferences, but I like to let experts do what they do best and not try to micromanage every little aspect. You know, I will, um, you know, uh, if I were to build a, a, a new bar tomorrow, I would I would uh, I would have a list of things that that I want you know, in terms of lighting, in terms of uh, the entry progression, in terms of just the layout. Um, but within that, you know, I want to let people who are better than I am at that stuff do their thing, which uh, I, I don't think enough people do that. I don't think enough people say that and do that, you know, let the experts do their what they're experts in. <laughs> hmm. Let's let's bring that back, shall we? Yeah. Where do you come <laughs> down on Tiki bars? <laughs> mm. Wow, I just it's so they're so transportive. Uh it's they're so much fun, you know. When you step into I a think that's bar that is magic about them. Sorry. It really is. Um you know, I I wish that there were more genres like that of like truly transport. You know, one of my favorite places on earth just cuz I grew up in California is Disneyland. And just how immersive that is. And, you know, you're you're at the base of the Matterhorn and you you sort of feel like you're in Switzerland in some weird way. But then you walk like, you know, like 250 feet in the other direction and you sort of like you you feel like you're in the middle of a jungle. Like, it's just so um, I love that. And mm. I, I wish that there were more kind of like um Immersive bars. experience uh, experiences like that in bars, you know, like why not a, a, a sort of like Wild West bar? I don't know, you know, like uh, saloon. Yeah, I don't know. Bring back uh, the I saloon. Think there's a lot of, <laughs> yeah, bring back the saloon. I think there's a lot of opportunity there, I guess is what I'm mm. saying. When you first started back in the day um, mm. and you just sort of learning sort of bartending, you were saying you're pouring drinks, was there anyone that you sort of inspired? Like was inspired by or learnt from to get where you go. Was of there someone course. where you worked at the pub or the the bar that of, you originally worked at? Of course, yeah. I uh, have always just been 
Uh, I think it's so important to have those um, people that you look up to uh, in any profession, particularly um, bartending. Um, there were bartenders around town that I just like admired and thought were, you know, tried to sort of model myself after. Um, as I started to learn more about cocktails and stuff, there wasn't really anybody in this small town that was doing, um, you know, that was super inspirational um, just because it was a small college town and it wasn't really a cocktail town. Um, so I started looking beyond and, and I was lucky that the Internet was sort of just taking off in that mm -hmm. way. And I could, you know, I could, I could read, I, I, there was a really, uh, influential, um, blog, I guess you would say it was, a um, it was, a uh, you know, I think it called itself like an e-magazine or something like that, but they had a, mm -hmm. uh, an author named Paul Harrington, who was a bartender in San Francisco. And he wrote so beautifully about, um, cocktails and a history of cocktails and just all things bartending. And I just devoured like those articles. Um, you know, this was probably the early two thousands. Um, in fact, I was working in architecture firms and, and, uh, I didn't want to get in trouble for reading, um, cocktail stuff when I should have been like working on floor plans. So I, I had my browser minimized. Like it was just like basically like an inch tall at the bottom of my screen. And I would scroll through like line by line reading, you know, so the, the the rest of the real estate of my desktop looked like AutoCAD, but the, at the very bottom, I was actually reading about sidecars and martinis and things like that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, there was a a guy, um, a creative director I used to work with, and he had, and I'm sure you can buy these in America too. It was like a, it was a big red emer pressing case of emergencies button that you'd plug into your computer totally. and he'd be surfing yes, the net yes. all day. And when, when he sees the boss come and he'd hit the pressing case of emergencies button and all these kind of fake spreadsheets that pop yeah, up. Yeah, so it yeah, makes yeah. it look like he's. <laughs> I love it. Funny the things Thinking we do in the. throwing him under the bus now if he's still working there with that red button. <laughs> yeah. The red buttons. So, Jeffrey, uh, com coming back to the, um, you know, what you were learning from uh, who you thought were innovators uh, at the time, during that time, clearly you started to, started to understand sort of the history uh, of cocktails and the basic building blocks that make them. So can you talk a little bit more about how you, you, you even wrote a book about like the, the best recipes for the, the, the core cocktails that, you know, everybody with a bar program or with a home bar should, should learn how to master, or at least a few of them. So how do you take this rich history of, you know, tra tra traditional cocktail structure when you're approaching new recipes? Uh, you know, you talked a little bit about this in terms of the bubble diagram and the flavor program profiles but you know there's going to be you know new liquor liqueurs liquors that come out over the years so so how do you stay in front while you know leveraging the knowledge from the past i would say that um you know my sort of path was very similar to somebody that um is trained in music in that i started you know when i started getting into cocktails i was very by the book, you know, I, I found the martini recipe from the guy who supposedly had the best martini recipe and made the martini and I made it only that way. 
um, you know, and, and same with all of the other drinks until I was like sort of fluent in that language, that kind of classical cocktail construction language. And then, you know, there comes a point where you have to sort of develop your own style and challenge your what you've been taught a little bit, you know, um, which I did and and still continue to do, um, you know, challenging um, not only what I've learned and, and but a lot of my like sort of preconceived notions. Um, and that's how I, th- I th- really think that that's how you develop your own style. But you have to you have to sort of learn how to walk before you try to run. I see a lot of um, I see a lot of newer bartenders try to skip ahead to the, mm. you know, the kind of creative, the fun stuff um, without having that base. Uh, and it's just such a um, I think it's just really detrimental to um, you know, their craft and also just the, the larger world of, of cocktails, you know, um, I'm, I, I always encourage people to like, start, start with the classics and, and learn, uh, and then decide, you know, decide on your own if, if, uh, uh, if that's the best way to do things. Well, it's like the creative process. You've got to sort of understand mm-hmm. the foundations yeah. in order to, to get to, where you, your ultimate designed outcome. Yeah, you got to put in Absolutely. your 10,000 yeah. hours, they say, your 10,000 totally. hours. I, yeah. I really, you know, when I read that book, like it really spoke to me. Like I really believed in, and I still really mm-hmm. do believe in that, that you just do have to kind of toil away. And there's there's not really any way to kind of cheat that, you know, mm-hmm. unless you're one of those just rare geniuses that, that come along once every 100 years. Um, you know, I think that there's no substitute for doing the work. And the which book are you talking about? Because there's the bar book and then drinking distilled. Yeah, so the bar book was um, uh, was a, a, a pretty big departure for cocktail books, and it was really hard to get that published actually because uh, I knew I wanted to write a book. I'd been writing on my website, and I'd been writing for Simon said like Playboy and other magazines for mm. for quite a while. I knew I, w- I had something to say in a book, but um, the pitch was very hard. And the, and and the elevator pitch on that book was this: that um, there are three things in equal proportions that make a great cocktail. One, the first one being the recipe that you select, right? So, let's say for a um, for a daiquiri, you know, you get on the internet or you open your, your large library of cocktail books, which I have, and you go through, and there are a trillion different ways to make a daiquiri, right? Um, so, finding that perfect recipe or developing it yourself is one third of the equation. The second third. And 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 there are uh, there's no short supply of of cocktail books written about recipes. Most cocktail books are about recipes. Um, you know, the next thing uh, that's a third of the the equation is the ingredients that you you choose. And you know, so are we going to use uh, for that daiquiri? Are we going to use fresh lime? Are we going to use canned lime juice? Are we going to sour mix? Are we going to use um, Rangpur limes, or, you know, are we going to, um, use limes that were gently squeezed with our fingers or something was uh, juiced on a, a electric juicer, which is going to get a little bit more of the pith and some of those bitter oils in there. Like, you know, what kind of sugar are we going to use? Are we going to use just a white, simple syrup? We're going to use powdered sugar. We're going to, you know, we, we've got so many decisions to make in that realm. Um, and there's no shortage of, books out there about ingredients. There are whole books about rum, a million books about bourbon and scotch. And, um, you know, when I was researching my book, there's an entire book about quinine, about tonic water, you know, um, bitters. There are many books about bitters. Um, 
so you know f- selecting selecting those ingredients is the the second third of that equation but the third that nobody really was talking about at the time is the technique that you employ right you know are how how are you shaking that that daiquiri uh what kind of ice are you shaking it with uh, how long are you shaking it? Are you double straining it or single straining it? Um, are, are you putting it into a room temperature glass or a chilled glass? You know, and that nobody had written a book about that before. And I, you know, I pitched that to um, a few people, and everybody sort of said, "Well, you, you know, you can't do that. You just have to, you have to do a recipe book." Because all of the books at the time were by well-known bartenders were just like pretty picture recipe, pretty picture recipe, mm-hmm. pretty picture recipe, pretty picture recipe. And I have a bunch of those books. And and every time I get one, I, you know, I pick it up and I flip through. Maybe, maybe I make one of the drinks and I put it on the coffee table. And then after a few months, I put it, I put it on the shelf and I never open it up again. And I really wanted to write something that was more of a, um, you know, like a textbook, something that, that people could, you know, bartenders or home enthusiasts could pick up and turn to time and time again, you know, what, what was I supposed to do with the ice? How was I supposed to do the ice? Oh, I'll grab the book and look up the chapter on ice, you know, and oh, right. Okay. We're going to do this. Um, and, you know, fortunately Chronicle picked that book up and, um, and it, it, and, you know, I'm proud to say mission accomplished. Like it really is a textbook for a lot of a lot of new bartenders that start um, start their path are given that book by their mentor said, here, yeah. just read this and then you'll get, you know, you'll be partway there. You know? <laughs> yeah. If you're a bartender that's been living under a rock for the past two decades, uh, now you know who Jeffrey Morgenthaler is. So um, <laughs> <laughs> like I've never heard anyone articulate all of the different elements and components yeah. and techniques of any craft just as organically as you just did. So Yeah, and the complexity cool. of like just you don't realize all the little details that you would never think about, like powdered sugar yeah. versus a different type of sugar. You just assume totally. sugar, sugar. Yeah. Yeah. No. yeah. Um, Powdered sugar has cornstarch in it. And so it's yeah. going to, it gives you like sort of a, a, a sort of slimy mouthfeel when you, you yeah. know, uh, you know, it's, it's not like going to be crisp breaking and Breaking down the elements of each yeah. ingredient <laughs> and what works. <laughs> yeah. It's like a science. Yeah. Yeah. And you're kind of like, I don't know why I'm using this analogy, a doctor, but you know, you can say you can, you can tell people why things are shining in their mouth versus feeling a bit dull, right? You can break it down to the elemental level, which I think is that's the reason you're a master of the craft. Take that AI. Good luck trying to replicate <laughs> well, that. I think it brings down. It comes back to the whole sensory experience, yeah. like you know what you were talking about the feast for the eyes, but it's also what the yeah. palate can break down. There's a party in my mouth and everyone's invited. <laughs> totally. Yeah. I, you know, I don't know about the doctor analogy, but I do, uh, you know, a lot of us always, we always say that we're, um, we're, we're basically pharmacists with a limited inventory. Yeah. Like oh, there that. you go. <laughs> That's way better than doctor. <laughs> Jeffrey, you were, you were talking about, you, you were seeing younger bartenders jumping through their 10,000 hours. Um, you were yeah. talking about how your book is used uh, as a pass down from mentors to mentees. You know, one thing we've talked about on on this podcast before, um, we've had a lot of people um, who have sort of elevated through the ranks of leadership as a creative. And as you get further and further up, it becomes harder and harder naturally to sort of maintain that creativity and manage other people. So how does that work 
for for you as you've sort of you know gone from one James Beard award award winning place to another. Uh, you know, you've built teams. How do you how do you maintain the craft um, and and what's your what's your style there for just ensuring that the creative element is there, but also that standard of you know presentation and and delivery and and all those good things. You know, I was I was just in Berlin a few weeks ago and um, was uh, being interviewed, uh, and they asked a, a really similar question about. Um, you know, how, how I'm going to kind of like keep innovating and keep, um, being creative and keep pushing the boundaries. And, you know, it was all sort of, uh, also framed in this sort of like what's next, what's on the horizon, what are we going to be seeing next year in the world of cocktails or whatever. And, you know, I have, uh, as I'm 52 now, and as I get, as I've gotten older, I, have really uh, been kind of doubling down on this idea of growing old gracefully and um, not trying to sort of hang on to my my youth and my my prime creative times. I think that I, I really have been thinking a lot lately, especially the past like year or two about how I think that, you know, my role is to help foster the next generation and help them be wildly successful and creative and, and, and show them, um, you know, how just kind of pull back the curtain and show them how I did what I did. Um, because it is, it is hard to own a business now and, you know, just be a fountain of just like a fire hose of great ideas, you know, like in my thirties and forties, it it came really quickly. And now I've, you know, I'm tied up with spreadsheets and meetings and all this kind of stuff. And so, uh, mentorship, um, has been very, very important to me for a very long time. And, and just sharing, um, I have a number of bartenders around the world now that, that have me on speed dial that can just like pick up the phone anytime and call me and ask me, um, questions about, you know, uh, professional life or life in general, um, work-life balance, um, you know, cocktail questions. Uh, I just being present for that next generation and, um, helping, helping them, I think is going to be, uh, a larger part of my legacy rather than just like, you know, the guy that did a, a whole bunch of like cool things. Yeah. I still want to be remembered for that, but I really would like to be remembered as, as somebody that helped, um, helped, helped from a position from the position that I'm at being able to help people, um, up to where I'm at is, is really important to me. Love that. Mm. Yeah. I mean, awesome. On, on that note, I've got a, I've got a couple of questions. Well, first of all, do you think that the, the industry will, I mean, evolution is something that's really easy to see in the design world, right? Because there's technologies, new technologies, there's new, new things happening i mean do you think do you see in like 10 years the cocktail industry and the bartending industry um being somewhat similar to what it is today in terms of the drinks that we consume and the experiences in a given bar or yeah i think yeah i think that um i think that food and drink both do rely on technology to a certain degree. Um, uh, but the core, you know, we make things cold, kitchens make things hot. Um, you know, the technology to sort of get there might change and get better. But um, I think that in terms of food and drink that um, we are largely 
unaffected. You know, technology is probably not making us obsolete, right? It's, mm -hmm. uh, you know, drinks made by drinks and food made by human beings in a, in a space, um, you know, bars and restaurants really are like sacred social gathering spaces. They have always have been, we will always continue to need that. Um, we will always need human connection. Um, and we will all, always need food and drink. Um, so, you know, I don't want to, I don't, I don't want this to become a, um, you know, a meme a hundred years from now. Like, remember the guy who said that the, the, the bartending won't be <laughs> by, you know, AI or whatever, but like, I, I think that I have to believe that. Um, cause otherwise, uh, you know, I just get paranoid and, and scared, um, hmm. I will, I will say that, you know, the, the AI thing I did when chat GPT, I guess four or whatever, three or four came out, I, I asked it to design me a cocktail menu in the style of Jeffrey Morgenthaler and it did an okay job. And I was like, uh oh, <laughs> <laughs> wait for chat, wait for chat GT, GTP 6.0. I have to ask, what was the key ingredient? It, uh, it, it sort of. I, don't, I was so um, I was so scared. I, I closed the window immediately. And never <laughs> was like, yeah. But you know, I think that 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 sort of thing um, will um, you know menus. People can write menus. I don't think that AI is necessarily ever going to innovate our industry. I don't think it's going to yeah. really innovate any industry. It's not going to innovate yours. Um, that needs to be done by people. But um, a lot of those kind of shorthand things with where, you know, maybe a, a chain restaurant decides that they want to um, have a cocktail menu like mine um, without paying me an exorbitant uh, yeah. uh, consulting fee. Well, you know, <laughs> that sucks. Well, that, they're never going to appeal to your audience anyway. And um, mm -hmm. there's something to I think there's something about being having. The trial and tribulation and the knowledge of having create being the architect of that recipe um that 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 the that the that ai can't replicate right so yeah. you can give someone the the keys to a, far, a ferrari but they don't they may not know how to drive it or drive a formula it, one yeah. car or or an aircraft so, and you know to, to to that end too you know when i First of all, you know, Jeffrey, you sort of kick-started my, my appreciation for cocktails back. I'm, I'm soon so after sorry. I turned... I'm so sorry. <laughs> <laughs> uh, soon after I turned 21, that there was, um, you know, the, there was sort of an, an epiphany that I had that, um, you know, as I've matured, especially here in, um, you know, New York City, a lot of institutions, uh, you know, they serve the same cocktails that they served, you know, back in the 1920s, the 1930s. Mm -hmm. uh, and in many cases, they they just stick to that exact same recipe. So in a way, it's sort of like a, a time traveling storytelling device uh, where, you know, after a day on my, you know, on all my Apple technology, I kind of just want to close all that up and go to 1920 and have, you know, a, a Bemelman's martini at the, the yeah. Bemelman's bar. Yeah. Uh, and just like tune out and just take a time machine, you know? So in a way, I think almost like how vinyl and knitting sort of came back, I, I kind of feel like it's 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 one of those things that it's, it's actually an, an escape from technology yeah. in more ways yeah. than one. Um, and I feel like AI, none, none of that will be able to replicate, you know, what the original source material was, which you are responsible 
for so much of. Uh, that that being said, what do you think is like next in terms of cocktail appreciation uh, with like social media and um, you know how people are able to share recipes and uh, you know like like what what about just like the the general world of appreciation for mixology? Um, where do you where do you see that going? I mean, we're. Uh, blessed to have it never, uh, never has been as big as it is now, you know, cocktails and bars. And um, it's just, it's such a thing uh, now. Um, people are, are enjoying better, more and better beverages um, either out or at home. Um, you know, it's hard to say what the um, future is going to be. I, you know, I, have always said that I, I hope for a future where people are drinking more and better um, and, and smarter and, you know, healthier. Um, you know, I, I hope that everybody has a um, really delicious martini or uh, everybody in the world has a really delicious martini or old fashioned after work at the end of the day. I also hope that they don't have like nine of them. As with anything, there are always people that want to sort of take advantage of, um, of a, a boom um, that are not necessarily, um, you know, good actors. Um, and I think you see that all over social media and certainly, um, in bars. Um, and I think that, you know, I hope that we all just are able to kind of sniff out, uh, the more genuine, um, players in the game. Um, you know, I mean, you talk about Bemelman's bar, you know, it's like, that's <laughs> like, it doesn't get more authentic than that, you know? Uh, right. As, you know, as for me, I want to, I want to, I want to make the next Bemelman's bar, you know, I want to, I want to, I want a bar that's going to, that's going to do that. That's going to be a, a classic, you know, time honored place that will go on for, for a hundred years and, and live in the, um, the pantheon, you know? Mm. Yeah. Get, maybe getting back to Simon's question about the social media aspect, we, I saw the, um, Portable high-end cocktails in a can collaboration you did with uh, what's the Ninkasi. company Ninkasi, Ninkasi correct? Yeah. Getting back to like haters versus purists versus innovators. Um, what cocktail in a can could be seen as taking out a lot of the magic of a handcrafted mm. creation or whatever you call it on the fly. Um, yeah. Can you talk through how that how that came about? Your and yeah, um, a little bit about the those. Cocktails in a can. Yeah. You know, I have been friends with uh, the guys that started that brewery um, for close to 30 years. Uh, we met when I at my first bartending job um, and we have all kind of like come up in the business sort of together, you know, as they rose and became like one of the, the biggest, most popular breweries in Oregon. You know, I was I was on my rise as well. And when they approached me about doing canned cocktails, it really um, it's funny. I had some some kids sit at the bar, I don't know, last year and ask me if I thought that putting cocktails in a can was a quote unquote sellout move. Um, oh. <laughs> oh no, he didn't. <laughs> I, I, I think I just walked away. Um, uh, you know, uh, I don't think it's a sellout move. I think that, uh, you know, my, like, as I was, you know, as I've said before, my whole thing is getting better drinks in more hands 
Um, and that really is the, um, you know, the, the sort of highest form of that, you know, I can, I can get people drinks that don't live in my city. Um, they can have, they can have them every night, you know? Um, so for, for a bartender that wants to make people happy with delicious drinks, it's really like, it's the, the highest sort of honor that you could have. Uh, that was, a it was very challenging. You know, when they approached me about that, I stopped by the liquor store in their town in Eugene, where I used to live. And I picked up every single canned cocktail that they had on the shelves. Like I just like wheeled a shopping cart out to my car and <laughs> loaded up the back of my truck with, with canned cocktails. And I took them home and I tasted every single one of them, um, tasted and spit every single one of them. And, uh, <laughs> And a lot of them are, are objectively bad. Mm. Uh, and I wanted to do something different and something um, that I thought was better and something that was really reflective of my style and uh, the way that I think about, um, you know, drinks. And uh, we were really successful. We worked really hard on them. And it was really, really, really fun project. I mean, it's, it's sort of the ultimate design project, right? You know, yeah. it's just like making one thing really well is is tough and challenging and fun but making a million things really well yeah. is you know and that have to be shelf stable and have to be able to yeah. sit in a can on at room temperature for weeks on end possibly um can, can be enjoyed over ice or on a boat uh you know all of these there's so many more design challenges with that it was really really fun it was really really hard too yeah i mean if they taste half as good as they look i'd say mission accomplished they look the the graphics and the packaging yeah exquisite Mm. Yeah, uh, we hired a firm here in Portland called Murmur Creative, and they just knocked it out of the park with the design. And we'll we'll reduce so who you hired. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <We'll just laughs> Please, sorry about that. <laughs> Very nice. No, no, com my highest compliments to Murmur Creative. A beautiful job. Super cool. Earlier in the episode, you mentioned, Jeffrey, that, uh, you know, there's this art and craft element to the uh the mixology process uh so as an artist and a craftsman what's what's next for you uh as you venture keep venturing on in this career i mean you know i know you mentioned uh aging gracefully and and being mm -hmm. a mentor but but what 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 is on the not too distant horizon for for jeffrey you know i would i would like to um have a bigger team and have more bars. We've got two um, with a third seasonal bar now. Um, I'd like to get more drinks in hands, and I would I would like to retire one day. You know, uh, I'll probably never be able to retire fully, but I would love to not work six days a week. Um, that's really like what's what I'm aiming towards. Um, you know, as we, uh, you know, we're we're both in our early fifties, and uh, sixty is not too far off. Um, mm. <laughs> staring at it, and um, yeah, probably do a little bit more writing. Um, I'd love to do another book. Um, so yeah, just you know, I'm, but I'm always going to keep pumping stuff out. If you want to continue the conversation, share your thoughts, or suggest topics for future episodes, be sure to connect with us on social media. You can find us on Instagram and LinkedIn at PlanCo, or visit PlanCo.com. We hope you've enjoyed today's episode, and until next time, keep playing, keep designing, and keep pushing the boundaries of what's next. This is Play in Conversations, signing off.